Kia ora, welcome to RNZ's Insight Programme. I'm Philippa Tolley, and this week, the cost of seeing your doctor. Our first port of call when something goes wrong with our health. Family doctors are unhappy. Over half a million New Zealanders can't afford to see a general practitioner. Fees are rising, and GPs themselves are burnt out. As this insight has been finding out, they're in a militant mood, tired of waiting for the government to fix deep funding problems and disillusioned about the future if it continues. In the complex world that is GP funding, poor patients may pay between $40 and $60 to see their GP. And yes, I do go without. I don't buy new clothes or new shoes. Millionaires, on the other hand, may pay just $18 for the same thing. We've got plenty of people who have you know, got their luxury yachts down in the marinas around town who are paying $18 a visit. Meanwhile, GPs, once the jewel in the crown of a top health system in world terms, struggle in some cases to keep their doors open. They will go out of business. We will have fewer GPs in New Zealand than we need and we will not be having people, doctors, going into general practice as an option. That's the future. It's not a happy scene for a sector that's been striving for over a decade to nip ill health in the bud in the community, to ease growing demands on hospitals and to deliver more care closer to people's homes. So how critical is the dilemma facing GPs? I'm Karen Brown, and this insight considers the prognosis for primary care and general practice. When I first decided to look for a new doctor closer to home, because my previous doctor was further away, I just didn't have the money to see my new doctor. Kim, a beneficiary on a supported living allowance in Takapuna in Auckland, has difficulties getting around and uses a walking stick. She needed to find a doctor who was easier to get to. But the new problem was the cost. Earlier in her life, Kim was employed and independent. But now she had to wait until she got a gift of cash from her mother before she could find a new doctor. Isn't that sad to actually have to be given a birthday present of money and then have to use it to go and see the doctor? But it was the best, one of the best birthday presents that I gave myself because it set me off in the right direction with the new GP. Her community services card used to reduce her GP costs when she was a single working parent, but it no longer provides any reduction. That's because apart from offering a $15 subsidy for consultations at other practices, the system's been superseded. But Kim needs to see her GP monthly to receive repeat medicines. She can barely afford the $58 fee and budgets to contribute towards it weekly. I think I'm so used to it that I don't really care about it. As long as my grandson, you know, we keep the roof over our, ha- our heads and the bills are paid and he gets good food and the doctor's bills, that's pretty much the list, the order in which it comes. And then sometimes I might get sick with something, and it's something ordinary. Or then my grandson might get sick. I raised my grandson and he's just 14, so he is now $36. Free GP visits for under 13-year-olds, introduced a year and a half ago, were embraced by virtually all GPs and helps keep them busy, but does nothing to address high and rising costs to see a GP 
paid by everyone else. According to the latest government health survey released in December, 533,000 New Zealanders can't afford to see a GP. That's despite government funding of almost $893 million a year for primary care, money paid by district health boards to little-known groups called primary health organisations or PHOs and through them to general practice. It enables GPs, who are private businesses, to get a subsidy that meets about half of the costs of seeing patients. This is our latest toy. It's an ultrasound machine. These have been around for many years. Um, usually you found them in, uh, in radiology departments, but uh, nowadays we're beginning to discover that it's very much a primary care tool. A director at the Karori Medical Centre in Wellington, Peter Moody, who's been a GP for 40 years, says in 1941 New Zealand was a world leader in subsidising GP visits for everyone, rich and poor. 75 cents was paid by the government every time you saw a patient and the patient was supposed to pay 25 cents, which meant that you'd covered everybody, but you'd also were giving a subsidy to people who probably didn't need it. But it was universal, and I'm sure it was, it was much appreciated by everybody. Nowadays, GPs get a lump sum through their PHOs from the government for the total number of patients enrolled at the practice, which is based on the patient's age and sex, rather than the number of times they see their GP. Doctors such as Heidi McRae of MedPlus Takapuna say that system of funding based on patient numbers, known as capitation, is no longer keeping pace with costs. It's being slowly eroded. There are increased costs, increased compliance costs that are slowly making dents into that capitation funding, um, which makes general practice very difficult to sustain without charging patients more. Dr McRae says the wide range of other costs and demands are also increasingly onerous. We built a new medical centre, so the first issue was complying with council regulations. So we have to compete with older medical centres that didn't have to have 41 car parks, didn't have to have electric doors to allow in disabled patients and mums with buggies. There are increasing demands put on general practice in terms of the equipment, the IT infrastructure. So, for example, we have a defibrillator. It's hard to imagine now that there are practices without. They cost thousands of dollars. Every time you use the defibrillator pads, it's $150. So these are additional costs that we're being expected to soak up and absorb and there's no funding for. Even providing free visits for under 13-year-olds is a stretch. We get paid for four visits for the under-sixes and two for the under-thirteens. We see our patients far more frequently and therefore all those additional visits are free. I don't want to start saying to mums, no, you can't bring your child in, or trying to educate them not to come in if they're concerned. I think it's very important that if they have concerns, they do come in and see us. But how sustainable is it if numbers keep going up and the funding doesn't follow? The Ministry says the funding for this scheme will be reviewed if the rate of visits goes over 2.5 per person every year, which it hasn't yet. GP practices charge fees for each visit by those over 13, with the cost ranging from $20 to $69. And under a scheme known as Very Low Cost Access, or VLCA, a third of practices get an extra government subsidy on top in return for holding the adult fee at $18. 
but this scheme is a lightning rod for GPs' concerns over funding generally. Bushway Medical Centre, hello, Jenny speaking. Yes, sure, I've got a problem. Bush Road Medical Practice in Whangarei isn't funded under the low-cost scheme and charges $38 a visit for those aged 25 to 64. A practice director and chair of Manaya PHO, Andrew Miller, says a third of their patients can't afford the standard fee. At the coalface every day I am talking to people with real life problems related to high rents, unable to meet the cost of living. I don't see any rockstar economy in Whangarei. I've got people on a daily basis who are struggling to you know, get ends to meeting. He says the only way he could be covered by low-cost funding was if half or more of his patients were high needs, a standard he doesn't meet. Even if I got to 55%, by definition, 45% of my practice are wage and salary earners. Why should they be getting benefit from the fact that they're walking through the door of a practice that just happens to have reached the threshold of 55? It's not logical. Whether a practice has got 5% high needs patients or 95 they're high needs patients. The funding should be following the need of the patient, not the status of the practice. He and many other GPs say the low-cost scheme is unfair, illogical, bad for patients and should be fixed. I think one of the great things about our country is we like to give people a fair go. There's not a fair going going on here at all. It's also something that is completely able to be resolved with some fairly straightforward and simple decision-making. This is not a hard thing to do. But finding a way to fix it and the willingness to do it is looking distinctly difficult. A working group headed by Peter Moody recommended sweeping changes to the government mid-last year, including a new way, possibly based on the community services card, of targeting funding to those who need it, not those who don't. To date, there's been no government commitment to altering the scheme. Dr Moody says that rejigging who receives subsidies won't resolve the problems and estimates an extra $40 million in funding will be needed. He says the money wouldn't go to lining GPs' pockets, but to ensure subsidy increases reach those who require it. It's going to have to be fixed with money, and the longer it's left, the more the money that has to be injected will have to be. And his view that change is needed is shared up and down the country. In southern Northland, the president of the College of General Practitioners, Wellsford GP Tim Malloy, says he's ashamed so many people can't afford to see a GP. He's not holding his breath waiting for a change, though. We would prefer that the funding formula itself, the whole funding envelope, was addressed as a equity issue designed specifically to target those people at greatest need. However, that would seem to be a bridge too far for some of the politicians. The chair of Pegasus Health in Christchurch, Les Toop, shares this view. He says the scheme should be scrapped. I'm not in favour of universal free access by any means, but um, we need to target the resources that we can put in to the people who would benefit the most. And we don't have a system that does that. A walk with GP and practice owner Kate Baddock, who chairs the GP Council of the Medical Association, says all kinds of practices, whether backed by VLCA subsidies or not, are struggling financially. She says an urgent review of the whole funding system is needed, not just the low-cost access. At the moment we have a, a flat fee in capitation terms for those who are over 65. That's not tenable. 
we have an increasing number of over 75s, of over 85s, of over 95s, and they have an increasing health need compared to younger age groups. That is not currently recognised or funded appropriately. Capitation, when it was rolled out, was based on two to three visits, on average a year. In our practice, we've done the figures and our over 75s have an average of 14 visits a year. That in, we in no way have that recognised or funded adequately and no other funding stream becomes anywhere near covering the cost of those visits. Adding insult to injury for many practices is a process they must go through if they want to raise fees, known as fees review, which limits any proposed increases to an independently determined percentage. This year it's 1.25%. Dr Baddock says it penalises those with low fees originally. So you have penalised at the outset those practices that had lower co-payments and their gap between what they can charge under the current system and what they need to stay sustainable is getting wider. She says if GPs can't make ends meet financially and their viability is threatened, they will close, and some have. GPs say raising patient fees is all they can do to bridge the gap, but it's a conundrum because they know more patients will be put off coming. The head of General Practice New Zealand, Wellington GP Jeff Lowe, says patients and families suffer when subsidies and funding don't reach the right people. Dealing with it at the front line, we see individual people and families suffering as a result because their access and the affordability of their access is being affected by that. We need to make sure if the government is going to invest in the health of New Zealanders that they get that subsidy to the right people so that they can be seen in the right part of the system, often primary care. If we just carry on bubbling along, what happens? Then there will be a cost to the health system in the country overall. If we don't have general practice where people can present to early, then they will start attending in record numbers as they are to emergency departments, and that's a high-cost platform from which healthcare can be delivered. The country cannot afford that. General practice has long been recognised as a pivotal provider within a healthcare system. However, the environment around general practice is changing, with the traditional general practice model starting... GPs are also adapting to wider changes. A primary health organisation in Waikato, Pinnacle, outlines the widely accepted future for primary healthcare as the home or focus for the provision of a growing number of health services. The government labels the change better, sooner, more convenient. It's what drove Heidi McRae and others to set up MedPlus Takapuna. She says it's what patients want. Within our practice, we have a pharmacy, radiology, where patients can have ultrasound, x-ray, mammograms. We have a physiotherapist. We have a psychologist. We have visiting hospital specialists, including at the moment a respiratory physician and a cardiologist. We have a midwife, a nutritionist and various other people that have connections with us. As well, patients can have minor surgery under an arrangement with North Shore Hospital. 
The minor surgery scheme is a very successful one. I think that they have negotiated a very good cost for us. Not many GPs want to take up the scheme because of the low funding for it, but it provides an amazing service for patients that they can come and have their, minor, their skin cancers, their minor lesions removed in a general practice close to home and have follow-up there. They'd like to do more if only funding would follow from district health boards. One area that is screaming for additional funding for general practice is um, mental health. We have a service that's completely overwhelmed at the hospital. They can only deal with the most severe cases, and yet there's no funding for general practice to support those patients with more minor degrees of depression and anxiety who could be very well helped in general practice. At the Karori Medical Centre in Wellington, Dr Moody says it managed to access some mental health funding through the local Capital and Coast DHB to employ a counsellor to help young people with anxiety, depression and suicidal thoughts. He says it was working well until the deficit-plagued DHB tried to slash its payments for the service by 20%. An agreement was reached, however, and the service has continued. These were people that if we tried to refer them to the mental health services at the hospital, they would not be seen, they would not be prioritised, they would say, no, these people are not sick enough. And, in fact, the only way they would get there would be if they literally jumped off the cliff but survived. Dr Moody's also unsure how deep the commitment to care in the community goes. They say it is the most important part of the health service because it stops people going into hospital. I'm not sure whether people really believe that. I think they still want to put most of their money into into the high-tech secondary care services. GPs also complain that $250 million is being withheld by district health boards to cover deficits when it should go into primary care. Dr Alan Moffat is the clinical director of the largest network of GP practices in the country at Auckland's ProCare. The reality is that the DHBs are using discretionary or money that they have available to prop up and support the hospital sector. So in other words, the investment's actually carrying the wrong way around. Instead of moving it into primary and community care where we could do more preventative care and help invest in the future health of the country, we're spending it on the ill health that's being consumed in hospitals. He says if DHBs don't release more funding for more services in the community, primary care will simply not fulfil its potential. General practice is struggling and the reality is that funding, despite it, uh, the Minister would say that it's uh, you know, been inflation uh, protected, but in fact it hasn't. The funding has not kept up with inflation and yet the requirements on general practice have increased dramatically and the burden cost of compliance and, and having to do extra and additional work. Plus the care that we face with people that come to see us has got a lot more complex and more time-consuming actually. And so general practice is very much being squeezed like the rest of the health sector. Unlike hospitals, uh, we can't run deficits because we're private business and that would mean we go out of business. So uh, either the user has to pay or, you know, and we know that that's problematic for two reasons. First of all, there's, in effect, fee fixing for general practice. You're not allowed to increase your fees without um, notifying that and there's a process around the DHBs objecting to any fee increase that's above a certain rate. And secondly, it's unaffordable for, for clients. I asked the DHB's spokesman for primary care, Northland Chief Executive Officer Nick Chamberlain, where the health boards are holding money back. The challenge is that hospital service cost 
growth and actually acute demand growth is growing at a very rapid rate and so some DHBs find that they don't have enough money to do everything they need to do. So you're basically saying that they are withholding money, they're keeping money for their own work because of the pressures on them. They are trying to, so firstly it's extremely variable around the country and some DHBs are providing all sorts of new services in primary care, others are providing less services. Some of them, the challenge is that general practice itself and primary care doesn't have the capacity, the time, the ability to deliver the services closer to home without changing their model of care. That in itself requires a significant investment. Some DHBs are investing in this and also investing in services close to home and funding new services in primary care. Other DHBs simply don't have the money. You seem to be agreeing that some district health boards are simply not able to put more money into the community because of the other pressures on them in their hospitals. That's correct, but they're not actually using it to fund deficits. Dr Chamberlain says DHBs are working hard with the Ministry on this and there could be money in the next budget to address it. What we are wanting to have a discussion on is the whole funding uh, formula and increasing the fairness and equity of the funding formula and looking at uh, more appropriate targeting mechanisms for funding for those patients with high needs based more on an ability to pay. So all of that may then do away with the need for as many fees reviews. Christchurch's Les Toop, a professor of primary care at Otago University in Christchurch, says it's tough all round. We're in a phase where many DHBs are facing very difficult financial decisions and it takes some brave hearts to you know, spend money to save money in the long run. He fears a loss of morale if nothing's done. If you're having to create new wards and extra people are being hospitalised who could be looked after in the community, it's bad for morale, it's bad for patient care, sort of bad all round really. And that's what happens if you neglect one part of the workforce. The Ministry's naturally tight-lipped about anything budget-related. Its Director of Service Commissioning, Jill Lane, stresses funding for primary care has risen by 34% over the past eight years and general practices receive annual increases in line with their cost pressures. There's some things that we could do better in that regard and that's some of the work we're doing now with our primary care colleagues is really understanding who is it serving best, who is it not serving well, what can we do differently. She's upbeat about how the sector is performing and the future. There's been a big increase in the number of doctors taking up general practice over the last few years, which is very encouraging, almost doubling the the numbers of people taking up general practice. But then there's huge opportunities too with nurses and nurse practitioners who are able to prescribe the role that the pharmacist has with chronic conditions. Social workers, midwives have a hugely important role in supporting the general practitioner to look after the care of the community. The Health Minister, Jonathan Coleman, told a symposium in Wellington recently he will require DHBs to show clearly in their annual plans how they intend moving more of their $12.2 billion in funding into services in the community. It's not just a slogan saying um, we want more services delivered in the community. We're serious about achieving that and we're holding DHBs to account for their planning and their delivery of services. Um, It's not easy moving services out into the community because, of course, we've got a growing and an ageing population and secondary care uh, is always going to be a very important feature. But for system sustainability reasons, 
that's just what we've got to do over time. He said later he's not worried about GPs' claims about financial sustainability. Money always feels tight in health, but I think you've got to look at the bigger picture and overall I think we're delivering good services for the public right across New Zealand in primary as well as secondary and tertiary care. But Labour's outgoing health spokesperson, Annette King, isn't reassured and says her party would take action. Within the first 100 days of becoming the government, to set up a major review of all primary care funding, but also looking at what is done within our hospitals that ought to be done in primary care and the money that should follow it. There's no good tinkering around the edges because very low cost access is under huge pressure. They can't increase their fees. And you've got many people who should be getting low-cost access who are not getting it and are missing out. This is our resuscitation facility. So this is where patients who are really unwell, who need stabilisation prior to transfer to hospital. Dr Tim Malloy of the College of GPs offers a tour of the extensive facilities at his practice in busy Wellsford, north of Auckland. As head of the body overseeing training and standards, he's acutely aware of another pressure, shortages of GPs between the ages of 35 and 44, because general practice was seen as a less attractive career choice for young doctors until relatively recently. Full-time GPs earn between $120,000 and $150,000, which sounds good, but is less than many hospital specialists, including DHB-employed GPs, with a base salary of $203,910, with other allowances and provisions, including higher leave and reimbursements on top. Added to this, Dr Malloy points out, is increasing evidence in workforce surveys of burnout by GPs, especially those working full-time. We've been warning everybody who wants to listen that we have a crisis looming at a time when we have an ageing population, increasing immigration, population growth. We have a workforce which is struggling to maintain itself. It hasn't put off Leslie Harding, a third-year house officer who's working with Dr Malloy and intends training as a specialist GP. It is one of those pathways that you aren't spending the majority of your career after hours in a hospital and that there's a little bit more surety around uh, someone says, oh, do you want to hang out on this weekend? And you say, oh, just let me look at my calendar. Takapuna's Heidi McRae says the system relies on GP's goodwill and social conscience. We accept drops in funding and still try and continue to provide good service without standing up for ourselves. Meanwhile, Kate Baddock has a lot on her mind whenever she sits down for the 15-minute appointment allotted to each patient. Immunisations are up to date, their cervical smears have been done, have they had their prostate checked, have they had their uh, cardiovascular disease screening, have you checked their smoking status, are they physically active, what's their BMI, what's their blood pressure, have you checked their blood sugar recently, what's their diet like... Are they suffering from any work stress? Do they have any other issues which you haven't actually touched on? And I'm sorry, it just took me 10 minutes just to say that. The forthright Walk With GP leader also fumes whenever it's suggested that GPs are just being greedy. GPs are vocationally trained specialists in their own area of expertise. They have an integrated expertise which is matched by no other specialty in medicine. And yet... They are seen as second-rate citizens in the medicine world. And that, not only is it disappointing, but it's so untrue. But as a consequence, they are not 
seen as specialists in their own right, which they are. They are not seen as being worthy of recognition, which of course they are. They are not seen as being worthy of the respect of both other specialties based in hospitals, not all but some, and they do not appear to be worthy of the respect of government. Because if they were, they would have recognised and dealt with these issues long before now. Doctors are watching and waiting for the budget in May. If funding problems are not addressed, pressure will continue to increase patient charges. And that won't make either doctors or patients any happier. I'm Karen Brown, and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to get in touch or share your thoughts on this programme, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. That programme was written and presented by Karen Brown. It was produced by me, Philippa Tolley, with technical production by William Saunders. If you'd like to hear other insights, such as rescuing our fresh water, have a wander around iTunes and subscribe to Insight and give us a review. Or you could check out your Android provider. You can also go to the Insight page on the RNZ website. Thanks for listening. <laughs>